Hello and welcome to United's podcast and sermon archives. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at fergusunited.org or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and we hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. We get ready to go into God's Word. Um, if you want to turn to Exodus chapter number 3, that's where we're going to start out today. If I pause a little more than usual today, it's not for dramatic effect. I'm a little bit stopped up, so you're just going to have to bear with me. And uh, we're going to let the Word of God do its work. In Exodus chapter number 3, we find Moses standing before a bush that's burning and not consumed. Now, I like to stand around a, a nice bonfire, but I've got to continually feed that thing, or I just end up with a pile of embers and, and eventually a pile of ashes. But God chose to capture the attention of Moses through this bush and then proceeds to speak to him out of the midst of the bush. It's a pretty easy thing to catch somebody's attention with if you're walking through a desert and you see something on fire. Really, if you're walking anywhere and you see something on fire, we, we tend to take note of that. But the closer Moses got to this bush, he's saying that it, it just continued to burn and all of the leaves were still there and none of the branches were crumbling and falling apart. And so he recognized that there was something transpiring here that was supernatural and God begins to speak to him and instruct Moses to go to Pharaoh and demand that his people be let go free. Now Moses was not a stranger to the power of Pharaoh, um, this particular Pharaoh perhaps, but he, he was brought up there. We know the, the story, the Sunday school story, that his mother had had to put him in the Nile River and he was found by Pharaoh's daughter. He was raised in Pharaoh's home. But as he got older and he came to a certain age, he recognized that he was an Israelite and he went out among his people and he was witnessing what was taking place. And there was um, a taskmaster that was whipping and abusing an Israelite. He rose up against this man as the great hero that he was and he killed him. And he thought all the people would celebrate with him and rejoice that Moses was there to help him. But instead they said, well, what are you going to do, kill us too? And so afraid that his, his sin would catch up to him, he fled from the face of Egypt. He took off like a fugitive. He made his way out into the desert. He didn't associate with uh, the Israelites. He was no longer associated as an Egyptian. He just left. And he spent a great deal of time there. And now God is telling him, I want you to, to just walk back into Egypt. That's all you got to do. Go back and face your, your past. Go back and face your sin. Go back to the place where you, you messed up the worst in your life. Walk up to the most powerful man in the land and tell him that his free labor source is going to be dramatically depleted because you're there to take all of his slaves away. As daunting as that was, that wasn't the entirety of Moses' task. He also had to approach the Israelite people, those that knew of his mistakes and knew of his faults and knew of his failures and knew why he ran away and inform them, listen guys, don't worry, God has now sent me back and through me, he's going to deliver you all. And he was pretty nervous about this, rightly so. Um, 
I don't think I would have want. I would say I wouldn't want to be in his shoes, but he had to take his shoes off. I wouldn't want to be in his position. He had to go back and face these people. And so he asked the question of God. He said, who, who am I going to tell them sent me? When I stand before these people, I have no credibility. I have no ability to, to stand on my own merit and, and present to them my relationship with you. I, I need to know who should I tell them sent me to, to deliver this message. Exodus 3 and verse 14 reads like this, And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. This wisdom showcases the wisdom of God. The children of Israel were accustomed to a lifestyle of slavery. They hadn't been slaves just for a little while. This generation that he was going back to had only known slavery. They were born into slavery. They were raised as slaves. They had never experienced freedom. They never tasted of the ability to make their own decisions. And so he had to overcome a mentality of slavery. Their attitude was that of a slave. They, did not, they, they didn't have the motivation. There wasn't a lot of ambition within the camp. Their view of God had also become that as of a slave as well. They still prayed to Jehovah, but there was no faith for deliverance. They, the, the cries of them came before the ears of the Lord, but they, they weren't expecting God to send a deliverer. They would have questioned, is God able to overcome Pharaoh? The most powerful individual, the most powerful entity that they had ever known in their entire life since birth was Pharaoh. When Pharaoh said jump, everyone jumped and they just assumed they knew how high. He was the one that said what was going to happen, when it was going to happen, where it was going to happen, and how it was going to happen. And so when Moses came in and, and said, hey guys, I'm going to go to Pharaoh and I'm going to say to him that God said to let his people go and, and you're all going to be free, in their minds they would have questioned, is God able to overcome Pharaoh? To which God could respond, I am. Egypt is such a powerful force in the world. Is God truly going to pluck us out of here and deliver us? We've, we've seen Egypt go to battle before. We've seen nations who, who declare the name of their God come against Egypt. And time and time again, they fall to the power of His army. Is, is God really going to deliver us? To which God could reply, I am. Even if He does, is He able to make anything out of us? I mean, we're nothing. We're slaves. We have no abilities. We have no, no skills. We're day laborers at best. Is God really going to make a nation out of us to which God could reply, I am? We know Moses' shortcomings. Will, will God really work through such a man as him? To which God could reply, I am. We don't dwell in a physical land of bondage, but we do oftentimes find ourselves pondering God just like the Israelites. We question from time to time our faith, and we wonder, is, is God real? I mean, is all this make-believe? Did, did we come here for nothing today? Are we just playing, playing church, going through the motions? Is this a way to pat ourselves on the back and feel good about a made-up sense of morality, or, 
or is God real? To which he could reply, I am. Is he really concerned with me? Does God care about me? If I come to grips with the fact that yes, there is, there is one who created everything and orchestrates the cosmos and, and he's in charge of everything, with, with all that responsibility, does he care about you? I won't say me, that, that's the question I have to ask, but you ponder sometimes, is he really concerned with how I feel and what I think and what I'm going through, to which God could reply, I am. I don't think I'm the only one that's ever questioned, is God even listening when I pray? I, I hear the words coming out of my mouth and I wonder if they fall on any other ears than mine. I pray and I pray and I pray and it seems like nothing happens and nothing changes and everything just remains the same. Is, is He even listening? I believe God would reply with the simple answer, I am. We face challenges and battles in our life and we, we question and we wonder like the Israelites did with such a big obstacle in front of us. Is God really able to help me through this? Is He able to bring me through? Is He able to deliver me, to set me free, to help me, to change this? God would say, I am. Maybe the bigger question would be not is He able because we recognize His power and His might and His splendor, but sometimes our real question is, is He willing? God, we know You're there. We know You're able. We know You can. We recognize all those things. But, but I question within my own spirit, are You willing? Are You willing to move on my behalf? And in those times of questioning, God could say, I am. He gave Himself this name all the way back in Exodus chapter number 3 when He spoke to Moses and called Him to go into Egypt. And today, for a few minutes, I just want to preach, He still is. He still is. It's easy for us to read Scripture and understand the, the end of the story or know the end of the story before we even understand the details. And we just, we just believe that God is because we read that He did. But the question we have to reconcile with today is, is He still able? He still is. When you face impossible situations... You know, when you had a moment in time, when, when you could have acted and you didn't, and, and now that, that moment, that opportunity has passed you by. When the doctors don't know what to call it and they don't know what to do. When the addiction seems to be stronger than anything you've ever faced and you've ever come up against. And you're up against an impossible situation. I would remind us of what took place in Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 7 through 10. Ezekiel speaking in response to God's prompting says, So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a noise, and behold a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, sinew, and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came in unto them, and they lived and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. He is able to bring things to pass when it seems impossible. 
If there was ever a time when even the prophet could have looked back at God and said, God, I'm sure you were able, but now it's too late. It would have been in this scenario. There were not slain men before him, but there were scattered bones. They, not even full skeletons, but they had been drugged from here to there by the beast of the field. And God speaks to the prophet and says, is it possible for these bones to live? Well, God, I'm sure it, it, it was. But God didn't say, was it possible for these bones to live? He said, is it possible for these bones to live? And in the moments when we feel like there's, there's no way, it's, it's, it's not going to happen, my moment has passed, the time has gone, there's nothing that I can do, we still serve a God who can make a way where there seems to be no way. Isaiah 43 tells us He's a God who makes a way through the waters. Just like those children of Israel when they followed Moses out of Egypt and they stood before a Red Sea in front of them and an enraged Egyptian army behind them. It was an impossible situation. And yet God made a way in the midst of the waters. And if He could do it then, He can still do it now. He still, he still is. What about when depression sets in and our emotions take control? And chemical imbalances within your body begin to steal your motivation. This is reality. This is the world that we live in. Depression is a major problem. When your joy that you've experienced seems to be gone and you're down for the count. Here's the reality, folks. Christian people can deal with depression. Well, they must not really know God. Did Elijah know God? Sure, Elijah knew God. Elijah goes before the king and he sets up a great showdown between his God and Baal and he, he lets them do their dances and jump all over the altar and cut themselves and cry out for rain and there's no answer. And then he walks up boldly and he pours water over all the sacrifices and he says a simple prayer and, and all of a sudden there's rumblings in the sky and there's a cloud the size of a man's head, and rain begins to come down. And he's high on the mountain, right? He had a great Sunday experience. That's what he had. God moved. Man, he really showed himself strong. And in response to a great Sunday move of God, he gets a word from Jezebel that says, Just like you have slain all the prophets of Baal, I'm going to kill you. And Elijah's faith is like, a, it's, it's like somebody took a pen to a balloon. First Kings 19, 4 and 5. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, Is it enough now? Oh, Lord, take away my life. I'm not better than my father's. He just came out of the most powerful service you could imagine. I mean, fire of God falling from heaven. The the Rains opened up after years of drought pronounced by God's judgment. And, and man, it was incredible. And now he finds himself a day's journey into the wilderness. He has separated himself from everybody. If you read the preceding verses, he even told his closest servants, you're, you're going to stay here. I'm going to go on by myself. And, and he isolates himself and he gets alone in a moment of depression. And he begins to pray, God, just, just kill me. I don't want to breathe one more breath of air. Just, just take my life from me. I, I, just like my father's died in the past, I, I want my life to be over in a moment of despair. But God wasn't done with him. And verse 5 says, And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, 
Behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And God was able to send an angelic presence to minister to Elijah in a moment of depression. And he provided him cake to eat. And he provided him water to drink. When you find yourself under a fig tree, you just got to trust God. Here's the thing. We say, that, we say stuff like this and it's not biblical. God's never going to give me more than I can bear. I want somebody to tell me where that is in the Bible. Because that's not in the Bible. God says He won't tempt you above what you are able. He's not going to send temptation because, number one, temptation to do evil doesn't come from God in the first place. But this idea of He's not going to put on us more than we can bear isn't even biblical. If it was biblical, why would we be commanded then as the church, as the body of Christ, to bear one another's burdens? If you can do it yourself and God's never going to put on you more than you can bear, why do I, as another member of the body of Christ, need to come over and help you shoulder your burdens? In moments of depression, in moments of of low points, you need to understand that you're not created to deal with everything by yourself. He has placed you in a church. He's given you brothers and sisters and ministers and people that can come alongside you and help you shoulder the burden that's weighing you down. It's not time to be like Elijah and separate yourself from all the other servants and find yourself isolated and alone. The angel God sends to you is probably sitting in this service right now. And they're there and they're willing to help. He is still able to overcome depression. How about unjust attacks? When you find yourself coming under fire for doing what's right. Anybody ever dealt with that? You've got to take a stand in the workplace. You, you've got to call out dishonesty. There's family activities that extended family has planned and you have to be the one to say, no, our, our family's not going to be a part of that. Sorry, we're not going to be at the get-together on Sunday because we go to church on Sunday. We're, we're going to do what we do. We're going to do what's right. And you come under fire for doing what's right. I would remind you of the example of Daniel when he continued to faithfully do what was right. Even though the king, who he had a great relationship with, but the king wasn't all that wise and he allowed himself to be fooled and he put in writing and he sealed with a stamp that anybody that was praying to anyone other than him was going to be cast into the lion's den. What a ridiculous law in the first place. And yet, here's Daniel. He knows the decree. And he didn't hide away. He didn't make sure nobody was looking. Jesus, I think. No, the Bible says he just, he just opened up his windows. So, oh God... Here I am again. I'm just going to keep being faithful. I'm just going to keep praying. I'm just going to keep serving you. I'm going to keep loving you. I'm going to keep doing the right thing. And so we expect God to say, all right, Daniel, because you're doing the right thing, I'm going to make sure nothing bad happens to you. But here's the... Uh, Daniel, police, we're here to get you. We heard you praying. In the lion's den. That's a bad day for Daniel. The Bible never tells us that God came to Daniel and said, listen, Daniel, don't worry. I've got the lions under control. Mm-hmm. That's a scary moment. You've, been, you've just been attacked for doing what was right. 
And yet when the king comes the next morning and rushes out to, to look at the, the mess that's been created of Daniel by the lions, Daniel responds from the pit in Daniel 6 and 22, My God had sent his angel and has shut the lion's mouth, that they have not hurt me for as much as before him innocent, innocency was found in me. And also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Today, God took care of me. If He was able to do it for Daniel, He could still do it for you. It's not just a cute story that we tell in Sunday school to build the faith of our children. God still is. We go through seasons of loneliness and feelings of insignificance. We don't know if God's really concerned with where we are and, and what's going on, the minute details of our life, the little challenges we face. They're not really that big a deal. We know so-and-so's got more important things to pray about. I'm not even going to bring my prayer request before the church because cause it's really not a big deal. And, and God probably doesn't care anyhow. And we deal with these thoughts and the questions that rattle through our mind. 1 Samuel 16 and 11. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. Here's David just just going about his business, completely forgotten. You talk about feeling insignificant. The prophet shows up at, at Jesse's house and says, Bring all your boys in. One of them's going to be king. And I don't know if Jesse forgot about David or if he just really didn't think David was even a contender, but for one reason or another, he just left him in the field, brought in all of his other brothers. We, <laughs> we get overlooked here and there, but it's not to this extent. His dad, his, his father, the one that should have cared for him and, and been looking out for him and at least, at least wanted him to be present when his brother was anointed king, didn't even bother to bring him into the room. Insignificant. You're nothing. You don't matter. And the prophet goes down the line, no, it's not this one, not this one. Not. And he has to go back to Jesse. He probably felt kind of foolish asking Jesse after this, say, hey, just want to make sure, like, are all the kids here? I know we talked before, but I, I just want to follow up real quick, make sure I understand right. All the kids are here. And he said, well, there is, there's one more. He's out in the field. You know, I, I can get him if you want to. But. And we, like David, sometimes feel looked over and left out. And yet God knew exactly where David was in that moment. And He sent a prophet to anoint him as king. Jesus says it like this in Matthew 10, 29-31. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Say, man, do I even matter? Does God even know what's going on in my life? And he says, listen, if, if the tiny little birds of the field fall to the ground, and God takes note of it. How much more valuable are you? That's not a catchphrase. When we say God knows how many hairs you have. No, the, the Bible says God knows how many hairs are on my head. If He's taking that kind of detail, then He knows what kind of emotions I'm dealing with. He knows what kind of thoughts I'm battling. 
He knows what kind of things are coming against me. He knows what kind of victories I've won. We may find ourselves insignificant in the sight of the world and even those closest to us, but we will never find ourselves insignificant in the sight of God. He still still is a God that cares. Trials of life come up. We go through all kinds of different trials. I don't have the time to list them out. I'll simply read to us Romans 8, 35-39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, For thy sake we were killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep, For the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think that pretty much sums up any trials of this life that we're going to find ourselves in. There's a pretty exhaustive list. He just keeps going on and on and on about all the things that might come up, that might take place. He said, listen, I'm not going to promise you that God's going to protect you from all these things. There may be days that that are worse than others. There are going to be times when you, you feel like you're down and you're out and life is kicking you in the gut as you lay in the dust. But rest assured that none of these things are going to separate you from the love of God. Yeah. Not a single one of them. He's still a God that loves you even when life is rotten. Yeah. Even when it's gloomy and you're not happy and even when things aren't going the way you want them to go, God still loves you. Yeah. We don't only deal with the trials of this life, but particularly as those who have made a decision to follow after God, we find ourselves at times coming under attack of the enemy. You have an adversary. The Scripture says that he desires to destroy you. It's not just happenstance. And I I was intentional with what I said. You're more of a target for the enemy than Joe Schmo who's living down the road in sin. Satan doesn't need to destroy that guy. He's already on his way to hell. But you are a threat to his kingdom. You're a threat to his power. You're one that he feels like he had at one time and is now lost. He had your soul. It belonged to him. And how dare you defy him and turn to God. And so when you make a decision, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow after Jesus. I'm going to do the things that please the Lord. I'm going to be obedient to the Word of God. Satan says, okay then, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to steal your faith. I'm going to come against you every opportunity I get. That's why I'm grateful. Isaiah 59 and 19 says, So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and His glory from the rising of the sun when the enemy shall come in like a flood. That's how he comes in sometimes. It's just overwhelming. He just just rages. The Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. When the enemy comes in with everything he's got, sometimes... And I understand what's being said, and I I even go down this road sometimes because we don't want to put an air hose in Satan and pump him up into this big, bad, gnarly dude, something he's not. 
But we say things like, he's just a roaring lion. That means he's lost all his teeth. And he, he's just an old lion seeking the, the weak who he may devour. But Jesus never said we were anything but weak. And so when the roaring lion, you, you do what you want to do. But if I find myself on an African safari, I don't want to fight with a young, strong lion. And I don't want to fight with an old roaring lion. Because he's still got claws. And he's still strong. And he's still got power. And if I'm not careful, I'll put myself in a situation where I give him the upper hand. But if I'm living according to the Word of God, the Scripture tells me that when the enemy comes in like a flood, when he comes charging and raging in my direction, that God will raise up a standard against him. The Lord will make a way of escape. He's going to help me. He's going to raise up a defense in my behalf. We go through life and we deal with physical illness. I would just briefly remind us that all throughout Scripture, He healed the lame. He healed the blind. He healed the dumb. He opened the ears of the deaf. He healed the woman with the issue of blood. He healed the lepers who everyone else said were hopeless. He's able to touch us in our body and bring healing and strength to us. We go through seasons where our heart is broken. This is, this is part of life. The, the, the writer in Ecclesiastes said that there is a time to mourn. And we as people go through seasons of mourning and our heart is left in pieces. Psalms 34 and 8 says, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. When I'm going through life and it feels like I'm, uh, I'm dealing with a heart that's shattered. And I wonder, where is God in all of this? Because I, I can't feel Him. Because I'm numb. Because of the brokenheartedness that I'm, I'm facing. Whatever tragedy I'm going through. The Scripture tells me that in those moments when I might not feel God, that He's close to me. He's near to those that are of a brokenhearted. Where is God? He's right there. He's right there. The Scripture says He's a very present help in time of trouble. He's there. Luke 4 and 18, Jesus picks up the scroll and begins to read. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. When he's done reading this, he lays down the scroll and he says to them, this day is the Scripture fulfilled before you. I'm here to preach to somebody that broken hearts can be healed. He's not come to just help you get through another day. He said, I, I am here. He had sent me to heal the broken hearted. Healing is available. He still is able to to heal the brokenhearted. You've got money trouble in your life. Anybody ever had money trouble? Seems like a lot of trouble surrounds the checkbook. And it, and it produces stress. And it produces anxiety. And we got all these, these problems. And now, now there's, I'm struggling in my marriage. And I'm struggling to have a good attitude with my kids. And it all comes back to money problems. If we didn't need it, I wouldn't want it. Matthew 6 tells us to seek you first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. All of what things? The, 
the brightest and the newest? No. But in the context of the Scripture prior to that, he's talking about the food that I need, the clothes that are going to be on my back, the shelter that I'm going to have need of. God says, don't run around stressing out and worrying yourself over these things. He said, after this, do the Gentiles seek? People that don't have a relationship with God. People that don't know that they serve a God who's able to provide. He said, after this, those people outside of a relationship with me are stressed out about those things. It shouldn't be so among those that live for me. He said, as long as you're seeking first my kingdom, I'll make sure you have the things you need. And I can testify that God's faithful to His Word. There's been times I wasn't sure if I was going to have what I needed. I'm not even talking about want. There's been times I wasn't sure I was going to have what I needed. Continue to put God first. Continue to be faithful. And He provides just like He said He would. He says it like this in Malachi 3, 10 and 11. We get so caught up on our part sometimes because we, we struggle to be faithful in our tithes from time to time. But listen to God's part. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine Cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. God says, if you're faithful to me, if you bring forth your, your tithe to me, and that's where we get stuck sometimes, but listen to what he says. He says, when you bring me that 10% and you show yourself faithful, I'm going to do two things. Number one, I'm going to exercise my power of blessing. I'm going to open the windows of heaven unto you, and I'm going to bless you in a way that you, you don't even have room to receive it. He said, secondly, not only am I going to bless you, I'm going to rebuke or put a stop to the attempts of the devourer to come and destroy the resources that you do have. We go through relationship problems, marriage problems, struggles within our relationship. Got to thinking about this. Leah struggled to gain the love of her husband for years. He was tricked into marrying her. It's a pretty unique story. You take the time to read it. He's tricked into marrying her, and he never really loves Leah. And Leah produces for him son after son after son. And every time she has a son, she says, Oh, my husband's going to love me. He's going to be so pleased with me. Only to be disappointed over and over and over again. Until eventually, somewhere down the line, she, she just comes to grips with that and she says, okay, no more. And she begins to focus that attention on God. She begins to focus that attention on the Lord. And it's when she does that, that the heart of her husband is changed. You want to talk about marital problems? Read the book of Hosea. This guy is the prophet. He's supposed to have it all together. His home's supposed to be in order. And his wife is a harlot. Your marriage isn't that bad. <laughs> the point is, God was able to bring restoration there. He's still able to keep marriages together in 2021. It's still His desire 
for husband and wife to remain husband and wife in 2021. God, God is able. I could go on and on and on with examples telling you God, God still is. But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to close. I'm going to read John 14 and 6. Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes, cometh unto the Father but by me. Here again we have Jesus standing and declaring of himself, I am, it's me. Oh, you, you want to know which way to go? It, I'm the way. You want to know where to find truth? Yep, me. Anybody else would be an arrogant fool to make the statements Jesus makes. But not him. He's God in the flesh. He stands before us, but yeah, I'm, I'm the truth. That, that's me. It's not found in university. It's not found in, the, in street wisdom. It's not found in the ways of the world. I'm, I'm the truth. Oh, oh, you're looking for a life? <laughs> that's me. I am. I am. I'm the life. People say, get a life. Jesus says, yeah, get me. I'm, I'm the life. He said, I am, and I'm preaching to you today, He still is. He didn't give up. He didn't surrender. This power and authority hasn't been stripped from Him. His ability to provide, protect, to lead, to guide, to save, to encourage, it's still within His hand. He still is. He is the answer to any question you have today. He is able to meet any need you have today. He is present in both your triumph and your trouble. He is mighty to save. He is merciful. He is here on this Sunday morning to minister. What is the answer to your problem? I came to church today looking for the answer to my problem. What's the answer? Here's the answer. Jesus. Oh, that's trite. That's, that's just so surface level. No, it's, it's far deeper than you ever understand. Jesus. That's the answer, Jesus. What's He leading you to do? What steps of faith do you have to take? Jesus. He's here. And He is able. I don't even need to know the question. I don't need to know what you came to church in need of today or looking for today. I'm just telling you, He is. He is. He can. Right now. Full faith, no doubt. I don't care what the obstacle is. If we're in line with His Word... I don't want to have to qualify this statement, but I will quickly at the end. I'm not telling you that you can receive these blessings outside of the will of God. But if I'm, if I'm doing what I know is right, and I'm in line with the Word of God, He is. He can. Amen. He will. Yeah. I'm going to open the altars. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. And I know many times I open the altar and we, we spend all of our time in our seats, but there's value in the altar. If you need special prayer today, I want you to know there's a God that can meet your need. This altar's open. The Lord is able. I would invite you to pray and I would be more than happy to pray with you, partner with you. Let's just see what God would do today. In Jesus' name, Lord, we love you. We praise you, Lord Jesus. We praise you, Thank you.
ever ask or think. Above all the things. listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you'd like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online to fergusunited.org. And also don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. That way you will be automatically notified of our new episodes. Thank you very much and we hope you have a great week. God bless you.